0: G'day and welcome to Grad Chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I am your host for this week's Grad Chat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and CFRC, so thank you very much to both of them. Now, if your mates miss the shows at any time, you can download the podcast the next day on either iTunes, Google Podcasts and Stitcher. So no excuse not to hear what our awesome students and postdoctoral fellows are doing. Today, I would like to introduce you to Jennifer Ritonja, who is doing a PhD in epidemiology under the supervision of Dr. Kristen Aronson. Welcome to Grad Chat, Jen. Hi, thanks for having me. So we were just having a bit of a chuckle because I always forget to ask people how how to pronounce their name, and I do it every week, and so I have to redo it. So anyway, thank you for coming on on the show. Now I, I think we're going to go straight into it because we have a lot of I've got a lot of questions for you. Okay, good. Yeah, which is good. So and your so your research topic is night shift work, melatonin, and circadian gene methylation in the development of breast cancer. Yeah. So we're looking at both. Um, night shift work and breast cancer. Can you give us a bit of an overview of what that research actually means, or what what you're doing?
1: Yeah, for sure. So. It has two major parts. So the first one is I'm doing looking at a big review of the literature. So we and Epi would call this uh, systematic review and meta-analysis. And we're looking at it with between night shift work and breast cancer. So basically any study that is looked at night shift work and breast cancer, we're going to look at. But more in particular, we want to look at years of night shift work. We think that's a, a, a better variable, I guess, to look at, to be able to understand the relationship a bit better. Um, so that's kind of the first part of it, and that, that's working with a few collaborators, um, a few in Austria as well. The second part is that we are running a study that's um, currently, uh, data collection is currently going right now, and that's looking at uh, female shift workers in the hospital here, KGH. And it, it's based on a study that we did a few years ago, so we've recruited about 96 of those past participants. And then we're doing updated blood work. And we're also looking at other things that, like um, cardiovascular risk factors. And with that blood sample, uh, then that gets sent off to Genome Quebec, and we look at circadian right. gene methylation. And then we do have melatonin um, from a few years ago when the study was originally done. So we're also going to look to see how melatonin patterns in the past may affect circadian gene changes or genetic changes later on.
0: Okay, so now we're going to elaborate elaborate more on some of that terminology that, that you talked about. So your PhD research looks at how night shift work is related to breast cancer risk. Yeah. Can you please start by saying what you specifically mean by night shift work? Is there a certain time period, um, you know, length, all that sort of thing?
1: Yeah. So for night shift work, in the past few years, the researchers in the field have tried to be more Um, Specific about what we exactly mean by night shift work. And so, right now, we're going with uh, anything, any type of work that goes between midnight and 5 a.m., and it has to be that you work at least three hours during that time period. So the reason that we've kind of shifted towards that versus just even looking at evening work around uh, just before midnight is because we think that is the time that's most prone to having what we'd call circadian disruption. So disruptions in circadian rhythms as well as changes in your sleep-wake cycle.
0: Okay, and circadian rhythms are? They're your biological
1: uh, clock in the body. So for us, for humans, they usually run around 24 hours. Okay.
0: And I'm going to ask one more question quickly, and I've probably already gone off script. Melatonin, that's when we're talking about...
1: Most people associate it with a sleep hormone. So okay. it is the hormone that kind of starts peaking, I guess, during the night. So you it really starts to go up as you go to sleep. And its function? Yeah. Its function is... So it does help with... It's not completely clear, but it does help with sleep, people think. But there's also other properties in terms of it affecting pathways within estrogen, especially in females, and that's how they think that it, it plays a role within breast cancer.
0: So right now, according to the International Agency for Research on Cancer, night shift work is considered a probable group 2A carcinogen. Can you explain what that designation means and why is it considered a probable carcinogen? With
1: IARC, I'll just call it IARC for short, mm-hmm. they classify carcinogens, potential carcinogens. They look at the evidence and say, um, classify based on uh, what the evidence is showing. Right. So for shift work right now, the probable 2A designation comes from the fact that the animal studies and experimental studies are very, very strong to suggest that things like night shift work and exposure to light during the night shift could be related to not only breast cancer but multiple cancer types the reason that it hasn't been able to been pushed to you know the class 1 which would be you know a known carcinogen is because the human observational studies so the epidemiologic studies haven't quite shown such a strong effect. So some have shown a very strong effect, for, especially when you're talking about long-term night shift work over right. mm-hmm. 10 to 20 years. But that isn't always the case. And so there's a lot of inconsistency within the literature. And so that's where our role and my role comes in with that first part of my thesis, which is looking at that systematic review. We want to focus mostly on um, a better definition of shift work, which is right. why we're using years, and right. also focusing on higher quality studies. And I think this is really going to help us better understand Understand the relationship and to, to better understand how shift work might be impacting cancer risk. So I mentioned it in terms of breast cancer here, but it is a larger project that we are working on. Yeah. Um, so outside of my thesis, we will be looking at multiple types of cancer.
0: And I know you're saying breast cancer, but you, you sort of said also that... There is gaps already in the research, which is why you're you're Mm -hmm. wanting to take this particular this particular one. Is it just you doing it, or is there more people in your your department that's working? Uh,
1: No, well, it's it's actually um, an interesting collaboration. So a couple years ago, I guess it would have been fall 2018. I had a scholarship to go to Vienna, Austria, Mm -hmm. and work for a few. So I work with people at the Medical University of Vienna, and I also worked with Cochrane Austria. They actually are just outside of. Vienna. Right. Um, And then I worked with a researcher there who also uh, is partly affiliated with Harvard School of Medicine. They helped us I guess, refine the question. They were really interested in investigating this as well. Right. And then we pulled in someone also from McMaster University. Uh, mm-hmm. McMaster is a really big Cochrane collaboration group there that is really strong within methods. So we've been uh, had someone there that's been helping us at yeah. a well.
0: Collaborations are awesome, right? And yeah. both within this university and with other universities, I, I think that's great that you can go outside of that. Is there any evidence to support that night shift work impacts cancers other than breast cancer? So we think so. So breast
1: cancer has been the most focused on in the research, and that has a lot to do with that breast cancer has been highly investigated, as well as there's been a big link between people thinking that circadian disruption or things like light at night exposure might be able to increase breast cancer risk, and that's along that because of that pathway that I'd mentioned where shift work might cause changes within melatonin so right. in particular it would suppress melatonin and that that might go on to do a number of things but including change estrogen pathways so we do think that night shift work can potentially be a carcinogen for other cancer types especially ones that we'd call we'd, we would call uh, hormone dependent right. so these are ones that really interact with sex hormones like estrogen or testosterone But there are, melatonin does have potential impacts in non-hormone-dependent cancers, so things like skin or lung cancer. So the literature hasn't looked at it as much, but uh, there are a lot of studies, especially within the last year, that have come out looking at other cancer types.
0: And you've chosen breast cancer out of all of these opportunities because... So breast cancer, I think there's the most mechanistic... Uh, understanding
1: there and we are in a way hypothesizing that these can be relate to other cancer pathways right but i think that's the one that where most of the mechanistic pathways are there and that's how we originally had designed this pilot study that we're currently running as well as the past study that had been done at KGH looking at these nurses.
0: Ah, okay. So I'm going to come to that. (laughs) What was your study group that you're looking at? Because you've clearly gone for the breast cancer. And so most people will think about what particular groups of people are you looking? What kind of night shift workers are you looking at? Because I would imagine, or potentially maybe not, (laughs) there could be differences depending on what they're doing.
1: Yeah, so well, when this first study was originally done, which was before my time here at Queen, so I wasn't really a part of data collection and things like that, one of the main outcomes was breast cancer. So they did uh, look to recruit female employees from the hospital. Right. And that was because of the focus on breast cancer. But also they did want to look at the cardiovascular impacts within females, which had been under-investigated at the time. I, I, sa- I did say nurses, um, but there are, there were actually employees that were, weren't nurses okay. in our study. Uh, it's just that 80% of the sample was nurses. So a lot of the times I, when I talk about it, and a lot of the research looking at shift and breast cancer has been done within a nursing population. Right. They are a very eager group to, to volunteer, which ends up being
0: why they tend to recruit get recruited into these big studies. And it's the same is still happening. You're still recruiting more nurses, or yeah, pe- mostly nurses or, pe- or, or in the health system. Yes, yeah, exactly. The hospital system. Yeah. Do you think eventually it could be extended out to other night shift workers?
1: Yeah, absolutely, and it has been not as much in terms of cancer risk, but other things have looked at first responders. Right. They're just really hard. To get a hold of because they do have those long schedules that are sometimes back to back with um, a lot of overtime and things like
0: that. It'd be interesting, like the firefighters and the ambulance people who might be doing night shift, but they get a chance to have a sleep sometimes if they're not getting called out. But then they're suddenly getting woken up quickly to yes, yeah. next call. So their their um, sleep patterns would be all over the place. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it'd be an interesting population. Firefighters
1: are an interesting group. They're a little bit harder to work with because they do end up being exposed to other potential carcinogens such good as the smoke. With the smoke so most mm-hmm. of the time we try and actually I think people um, avoid recruiting them whereas you know night shift work in the hospital setting is a bit of an interesting example where we don't really think that
0: there's strong other exposures that could be carcinogenic right good answer love it <laughs> so if night shift work were to be classified as a known carcinogen which is a strange to think <laughs> as night sh- working a night shift makes um, gives you gets that classification. What do you see as one of the biggest hurdles for researchers and policy makers and particularly when it comes to acting on this new knowledge? So I think there's a
1: couple things. So the first thing to start with is that, you know, we're moving towards thinking that night shift work or being able to classify night shift work as a known carcinogen. And so, you know, even if we do understand that it's a risk factor for breast cancer, as well as other types of cancers and um, also cardiovascular diseases, there's a lot of research supporting that. We still don't have a great understanding to know what exactly needs to be done in terms of shift work schedules. So in terms of... Uh, what a better schedule to work is or you know if you think I always like the example of um, radiation Mm -hmm. we know that there is a bit of a dose response where they can make a recommendation saying at this point you should only get you know how many x-rays a year this equivalent right and we don't really have that for shift work so I think there's you know a lot of understanding that needs to be able to come with uh, understanding how many years need to be done, and what kind, uh, how many years of shift work would re- um, lead to an increase in in breast cancer or multiple types of cancer risk? Because it
0: was interesting you said earlier that the the time frame you're looking at is from midnight to five a.m. and as yes. long as they've worked three hours, but is that the normal shift um, timing? Because is is this like? Uh, Four PM to midnight, midnight to seven AM. I mean, what was the shift? Because if it's going over that time period, like before midnight and after, and that's one shift. Yeah, does that have an effect on what you're doing?
1: So I think it really depends on the what you're looking at in terms of work and industry because it really changes. When you're talking about within the hospital, it's pretty standard that shift workers work a twelve hour period. So they will start at about seven PM to and go to about seven AM. And then the you know, the next day worker will come in right. and then they've got their regular eight-hour shift so a lot of the times we look at it in terms of healthcare and, and nursing and things like that and and that's a pretty standard night shift but yes. it's not always the same so you know I think policing is a good example where sometimes they'll come in at three and then they'll go to maybe 5 a.m. or something the next morning but right. uh, then they'll be on call for a bit so you know their their schedule is very variable
0: so that's interesting too because I know a lot of people who who like to do night shift they do because they're only on so many nights, and then they've got three or four days off. Do you think? Have you seen anything to show that how many days off makes a difference or not? So is that bringing into a totally new question? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so
1: I'll talk about it in terms of mostly. So healthcare tends to run in a bit of a rotating shift schedule, and it's not okay. always the case. But at KGH, we do see that that they are mostly on a rotating shift schedule. And so what I mean by that, it's a, it's alternating day and night. So we're talking about oh. they'll usually work two day shifts, followed by two night shifts, and then they'll have four to five days
0: off. Okay. okay. And that's
1: considered a fast forward rotating schedule. And that's actually shown to be maybe the best way to adapt. But the, the thing we have to remember is that a lot of workers, not just shift workers, but they do tend to pick up shifts and overtime right so right. that four to five days off is probably not actually four to five days off for most workers
0: that's to be hard for you to, to, to then con- control your research when there's all these other variables coming into play yeah <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> you always like to have that standard one right but you're yeah. clearly not going to get that well one thing that we do
1: look at because we do know, know that this happens and there is we do want to look to see if you know working more night shifts especially more consecutive night shifts. So working, you know, two night shifts in a row versus three has changes. And so we did find in my research group, not that I was a part of, but that we did find that, you know, if you worked more consecutive night shifts, it led to lower melatonin patterns and things like that. So,
0: okay, because I would imagine because the reason they have so many days off later is to, like you said, is to get the rhythm, your sleep patterns back in order. Yeah. And we know how much when you travel overseas and you have a different time change. If you don't do it correctly, you're stuffed for a while. Yes, (laughs) yes, exactly. So I imagine, I mean, so most people think of the problem with night shift is purely the sleep pattern. Yeah, And So not a lot of people are thinking about other implications of, of the night work.
1: No, so it is mostly, people do think about sleep. Sleep has a lot of interest, not only within our research, but there's a lot of research in just, you know, the general population Mm -hmm. about how sleep might impact things like cancer risk as well as cardiovascular disease, obesity, things like that. One of the things that I don't think is widely known is that it's more, yes, it's the sleep-wake disturbances, and there's also social disturbances. But it's actually a lot of it has to do with potentially that uh, light at night exposure. So right. most of the time when we sleep, if you're if you're following a normal schedule, our body is designed to have complete darkness when we sleep. Okay. So when you're working during a night shift, you know you you do have the bright lights mm-hmm. that you're being exposed to at night. When our body is not used to that, and you know they could kind of counter that, and then when they go home and sleep, they can have Shut try up. and. But, you know, they are then in a light, you know, environment, whether they've got the blackout curtains or not.
0: Right. So, and I'm just thinking out loud here. So if we found that this is an issue, we need to get our other scientists to figure out a better light system that can yeah can be more like yes. the natural or more like the black. Oh, I don't know. I'm probably going, <laughs> going off it. You'd be going around with goggles on, with, you know, infrared. No, you know what? There actually is. <laughs> they do it
1: more so, you know, with light. Spectrum. It's not just mm-hmm. about intensity. There are different weight patterns and things that go with that. So they think that there is evidence to suggest that blue light might be the most harmful. So there has been suggestions and small interventions to look at whether wearing goggles, like you say, or the glasses <laughs> that, that block blue light, not necessarily just while working, but also especially
0: when driving home and going home Okay, on right. their way to to go sleep. Oh, lots of things are going to come out of this so we can see. <laughs> I know you've been looking we kind of alluded to this before. I know you've been looking specifically at women, but what about men? What would you expect what kind of a differences would you expect apart from, and I guess some of it would be hormonal. Yes.
1: Yeah, so, well, you know, you would expect differences within Because we have cancers? male we have
0: male nurses. Yes, we do. We do. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> yep.
1: Uh, Just usually a bit of a smaller population that's a bit harder to to recruit. But so I think it's that, you know, brings up a really interesting question about wondering what who's at the highest risk and risk differences and mm-hmm. what's considered a high-risk group. Based on the fact that it is so hormone-dependent, we've been operating a bit under the s- assumption that females might be at the highest risk for, you know, obviously breast cancer, but other types of cancer. But it really, you know, we really need to be having research that ha- is focusing more on males and also to be looking at differences. Right. So a lot of studies have focused on looking at just the... Sh- a female population and looking at how that even relates to things like lung cancer. But there hasn't been as many studies that have, within the same groups, been able to look at both males and females, and that's the best way to then compare to see what the risk difference right, is. Right, It's more about different populations, which then gets really hard when they're working different industries and different work schedules to be able to compare it and say, okay, are we actually seeing a difference in risk here? because of, you know, the female versus male aspect, or is it something else to do with the study? something else?
0: Right. Good answer again. I love it. Love it. I'm going to go back to your Vienna research. Now, I understand you've been invited to continue to do a collaborative project in the Department of Epidemiology in the Centre for Public Health in the Medical University of (laughs) Vienna. That's a very long title there. How did that come about, and will this be a continuation of your current work now? I mean, are you going well, you may not be able to go back there right now, but (laughs) are you continuing to do that collaboration? Because I know you talked a little bit about it before and also with Harvard.
1: Yeah, well, you know, sad to say, but I was going to go back and Mm -hmm. then I got the word from both Queen's University, but also their university that that's on hold. So I was planning to go uh, for the summer starting in May, but they have, you know, agreed that whenever I can come, the spots open. Oh, well, that's good. So at some point I hope, to make it back right now it's just a matter of when <laughs> but how how i got there i guess was a bit interesting so my supervisor is very active in terms of looking for different professional development things for me, and right. and she'd seen a few awards come up, especially the Mitex one is the one that we we ended up using right. to be able to fund something. So we we kind of had a, a sit down, and and she was asking what I really want to get out of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if I were to go work somewhere, and to, and to get some kind of experience in a different department and different university as well as country. And I said I really wanted to get you know, something, go work with someone that was really in my field, but strong in terms of epidemiology and to just try and build, I guess, on some of the learning that I've done. And she had come up with a couple of researchers that were in the Medical University of Vienna, and they had usually been in different places. uh, And they both kind of just ended up there very recently. So she yeah, so (laughs) she emailed one of them that she knew very well. And she was on maternity leave, at the time, but the other one, Dr. Eva Schoenhammer, she had, you know, was really, really great and said, yes, absolutely come. And she's been really great to work with. So she's been very, I think, really open about me learning there as well as, you know, always inviting me to come back and things like that. So, So hopefully I will be able to at some point go back and continue. I mean, the nice thing about the world is today is that we've got technology. So that's right. I so have you can been still get done. Yeah, yeah. So we do have our, our Skype calls that we've been doing to continue working on the project, which, you know, whether I was in Vienna or not, you need to kind of happen because we're all a little bit like all over the world. Yes. So
0: Well that's good. But There's nothing better, though, than actually being in the place. Yes. I I mean, I'm a firm believer on that. There's there's a lot you can do, like you said, through Skype and what have you, but it's not the same as being there and seeing it for yourself. Yes. You're relying on someone else to give you that data that you need.
1: Yes, exactly. And, well, I love the university there and the department, but I have to say that Vienna was really, really nice. It is. It, was, it yeah, is a beautiful place. It was beautiful. The, when I went originally, it was for three months and it di- I didn't honestly feel
0: long enough. <laughs> I,
1: I could easily go back and spend another
0: year or so there. Well, hopefully things will sort themselves out. Yes. Sooner rather than later yeah. for us. Now, you also had a chance to participate recently in a workshop at the Canadian Sleep and Circadian Network, which was held in Montreal this past January. Yes. What was that like and and what did you get from it? And why did you go to it, I guess?
1: (laughs) I'd met one of the researchers that heads that network at a chronobiology conference. I was actually in Montreal last spring. Um, and at that point, I was—I I wasn't looking as much shift work. I actually had another project I was working on. It was looking at light at night exposure from sa- satellites and how that might be related to breast cancer risk in oh, Canada. Okay. So she was really, really supportive of the research uh, when that I'd heard about it, and and she she said that they were running this this meeting and and would love it if I was able to come. So it was mostly focused on sleep, which I haven't done as much research on, but I do a lot of work with circadian rhythms and things like that so they invited me to come which is really nice of them and then they did have they had a few I guess uh workshop type events and one of them that was the most important for me I guess would have been the shift work one right so that was they had a couple people that went through this is the research they were looking at it more but in terms of shift work and fatigue management right so then but then when they opened up they did open it up to other researchers and you could put your comments in and and that was where I was I I kind of gave my two cents about that we need to be looking, considering, especially in Canada, the impacts of shift work and chronic disease, and to be investigating individual differences in terms of different groups. So right. one thing I'd mentioned was chronotype. And I know we didn't talk about it here, but chronotype ends up being someone's individual preference for being an early bird versus a night owl oh is that right so within shift work i'm an early bird (laughs) so within shift work whether you know you're looking at chronic disease or even just sleep patterns and fatigue there is a lot of research to suggest it's different based on whether you're a morning person versus an evening oriented oh that's another
0: little variable that comes into play doesn't it so when i talk about
1: looking at differences within what groups might be more high risk than Mm -hmm. others chronotype is one that that's been recently getting a lot of attention another project for you yes
0: (laughs) so I I guess there was a one question that I, I don't think I even asked at the beginning what made you want to get into this area in the first place I mean, what was your impetus for you? Was it just presented to you and you thought, oh, that looks cool?
1: Yeah, I wish it was more exciting then. Well, so I I came here originally for my master's and our department does things a little differently where you you get accepted and then you can come in and decide what you want to do, who you want to work with Mm -hmm. as a supervisor. So, at the beginning, I saw Dr. Aronson's work and I was really, really interested in some of the work that she was doing, both the occupational work in terms of shift work and cancer, but she also right. does a lot of environmental work as well. So, when I sat down with her at the beginning, she kind of went through the projects. And so, this was the one that I'd picked to look at. When I did my masters, it was more about looking at how shift work impacts cortisol and how that might impact your cardiovascular risk. Okay. And then it just bridged from there. So for me saying for a PhD, I really, really enjoyed the research. I really liked the school here, as well as the supervisors, I, I think. Right. I've, I've talked about Dr. Aronson a lot, but I do have a co-supervisor who is also on my master's committee, and right. that was Dr. Joan Tranmer. Right. And they've been really, really good for, I think, the research and and facilitating collaborations as well as networking and things
0: like that. Which is so, really important. Yeah, And and you've done, you mentioned you got an, a MyTax Award Yes, to help you. So what does it mean getting some of the extra funding to help you do this research and, for instance, be able to go to Vienna when you're able to?
1: <laughs> it, it was a big help. It was, you know, it, it really is an opportunity that I think most Students should take advantage of, and I've mm. tried to be a, a bit vocal about it in our department because it's a very easy process to be able to apply for. Right. I know recently with the I was pacif- specifically doing the Global Link Research Award, yes. and they have cut back some of the places that you could go, so you can't actually use it for Austria anymore. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, it is too bad, but I I think you know it really is an amazing opportunity to be able to go and work with other mm-hmm. research groups. And, and I think, you know, especially as a PhD student, it really facilitates collaboration
0: right. that you're not
1: just going to use in your PhD and PhD research, but also in your future, whether you go into work within academia or not.
0: Well, look what Dr. Aronson was able to do for you yeah. because of her contacts, her <laughs> yeah. network. Yep. She was able to get you into into the Vienna situation yeah exactly so I mean yeah networking is extremely important (laughs) as we know we keep pushing that yeah (laughs) (laughs) now I'm just going to go on a couple of other things that you've done of course you're a teaching fellow you went to of course you've been to Vienna you're a wise mentor what's that for people because I think I've mentioned this before on the show but what does it mean for you
1: Yeah, so maybe I'll just mention that WISE is a woman in science and engineering.
0: Yes, which is fantastic.
1: It is, it is. And I think my understanding is that it's been a very recent thing that they started to open it up to some of the graduate students. And I think it's really interesting to, to be able to talk with some of these students. So I currently am helping, I guess, mentor a master's student. Fantastic. And you you think, you know, sometimes I'm, when I first figured out it was a master student, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to have as much to offer, you Cause
0: know. Because it, it's too close to what you've just come well, from. Well, I thought
1: that, you know, when you come in, sometimes some masters, you've got a big direction about where you want to go or, you know, if you've right. got at least med school in the mind. But I think it's really nice sometimes to just be able to, to kind of hear what, you know their thoughts are and Mm -hmm. you know you actually can end up helping them out a lot more than you expect and it worked out well because she is in a similar field to me right so a lot of the advice that I could
0: give I think has been really valuable to her that's fantastic yeah and the other one that you do I've noticed you've got written here is a teaching assistant in the enrichment program called a comprehensive look at cancer today at Queen's University now That's the Enrichment Studies Unit, is it? Or is it it within your own department?
1: No, it's actually within the Department of Biomedical Sciences. Okay. So there's a Dr. Bruce Elliott who is, he's a professor, but he's uh, retired at this point. But he has, he's the one that really spearheaded this project and is very, very passionate about it. And he really wants to bring, looking at cancer in terms of many aspects, so it's not just about, you know, what we do, but so, um, you know, the next one of the next modules we have planned is looking at like genetics and cancer. Okay. And so bringing that to high school students. And so we've done it so that it's multiple classes over a, uh, like a year or a okay. couple years within the same students. So it really bridges. That's great. Their understanding of cancer. And it is it is really a comprehensive look if you're looking at the same, you know, having the same students come every time. And it it really, we try to build off their understanding each time about cancer. So have
0: you done that work in collaboration with the schools, the high schools themselves, or you just put a call out for students who are interested in high school to come?
1: So for this program right now, we are just working with one of the schools, one mm-hmm. of the private schools right. here. I, I don't know how long it's been been going out, going on, but you know, we want to be able to create a program. Mm-hmm. So I should say it's not just me that's working on this. It was Dr. Elliot. I, I've been, you know, very recently coming into the. Uh, project, but one person that's been made a lot of headway on and has done a lot is Priyanka Gogna, and she's oh, yes. yes, yeah, Hello, she, Priyanka, she's yes. yeah, another PhD student in our department, and, uh, one
0: of our three-minute thesis winners. <laughs> yes,
1: yeah, from a couple <laughs> years ago. Yes. so she's done a lot of the work to be able to create some of the content and, um, you know, get our roles to help facilitate the learning. Right. And then the idea is to be able to, you know, we want to. Have this continue running, but you could also try and broaden
0: it to broaden it. a bigger audience. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, good luck with all of that. <laughs> Thank That's going to keep you busy, if yeah. not your own research as well. And hopefully, you will get to go to Vienna yes, sometime at some point. At <laughs> some point in time in summer, because let's. Hope everything's sort- all sorted yep. out by then. So Jen, we're going to have to call it quits. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Best of luck with everything. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me. You're very, very welcome. We should have got you on earlier because everyone <laughs> needs to talk about sleeping and night shift yes. and all that sort of thing. So you've opened up a lot of people's eyes. So thank you for that. Uh, that's it, everyone. Another week of Grad Chat sadly comes to an end. Don't forget you can download this show tomorrow from either iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. Just type in Grad Chat. Until next week, this is CJ the DJ signing off with a big hooray.